0: This is a message for all the enemies of Truanon Podcast. The haters, the losers, the people who comment on our episodes to say mean things about sometimes when we mispronounce words. Our message to you is this. You can actually pronounce words in any way you want. And in fact, names doubly so, because they're subjective words, meaning that you can kind of add your own funk to them if you prefer. We have hacked into your DDoS systems and have made our way into your... Uh, mainframe. Mainframe. Into your mainframe <laughs> and things of that nature such as CPUs, motherboards, and super even... Highway. Superhighways. father fatherboards, and even GPUs and CPUs as well. Step motherboard. Mother... But I said motherboard. Oh. But repeat it, motherboard. Stepmother... Yeah. I, I'm the... Uh, uh, I'm not the stepfather board, I'm the stepfather board that fucking powers your computer. And I'm in it now. I'm in your laptop. Dell, Mac, uh, what do you got there? Compaq. Compaq. I'm in all of these things. Alienware. Alienware, your al- from Liz suggested, <laughs> Alienware. Laptop, gaming lap, I'm in your <laughs> gaming laptop for when you ought to go on the road. I'm in there, and I see your files, and zip drives, and Dropboxes drop and external hard drives, and things like that, and even your USBs. Uh, I have entered your Android, your iPhone, and the other Chinese one. Huawei. It's not how you say it, though, Huawei? <laughs> but you know what? That's the message of this program, Huawei. We are a true anon. We do not forgive. We do not forget we are legion expect us
1: Oh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. We just had a, a strange buzzing noise that came from the, the, of course, the mainframe we record this through. <laughs> and then that message, I, I'm too terrified to maybe take it off. My name, not that. My name, of course, is Brace Belden. And I'm Guy Fox. Uh-huh. F- Guy Fox Airy. This is... I <laughs> just like, this is
2: Young Chomsky. This is Young Chomsky. <laughs> Who is the producer of this show, which is called...
1: Uh, true enough. Why are you? This is why you fucked up because you're right. doing my role. I know. I'm the guy who does that. No, I am the guy who does that. I I am I the am. guy who does that. <laughs> I was going to try to I've do that. I've never seen it. I am what's the, that, uh, I'm the podcaster who knocks. I've never seen Breaking Bad, but I love it when he says, I am, I am the guy who does that. I'm the guy who does that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about guys who sell meth and who fucking kill dudes and have a little yeah uh, well i little don't know if there's really the a side. pc word to describe what, what the little his little sidekick is there but whoever have, a, who have a, a, a white boy who's into rap and emulates aspects of uh, black culture uh, that's me i am wait the, which is you I'm, oh, you're okay, the white nah, boy who didn't confused I am the white boy, and welcome, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to the White Boy Radio Hour, as Liz tried to call the show, but we, in fact, call it True Anon. Hello, everyone. Hello. How are you doing? There's the beat you like. There's the beat we like. We do like to do that. We've, of, we've gotten into a groove.
2: We have our little groove, and then sometimes we, you know, mix it up. We flip the script. We flip the script. Sometimes And the script then, the uh, for us. you know, we do a little improv. Mm-hmm. Brace's favorite game that he learned at his classes. At
1: UCB. Okay, well, don't say. I obviously had a really traumatic event happen to me at that. When are you say mom? You don't know about the UCB scandal? The UC Brace scandal? UC, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, actually, I don't know enough about improv to even make a joke about improv. Aren't they, their whole thing <laughs> yeah. say, aren't they always like, and then or something? Yes, yes, and. Yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah. thought it was and then.
2: <laughs> and then. And then.
1: <laughs> it's just you getting the person I, to I say I the next up thing. and then in front of uh, a crowd of 50 people, which was huge. And everyone laughed. Everyone laughed. <laughs> and <they> were <laughs> laughed. You see Brace last night? He was He's, a disaster. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that's when I began cutting, uh, which I will resume. Well, you did a sharp inhalation of breath. I've been cutting. You've been cutting? I've been cutting. You're done cutting. You're bulking now. Mm-hmm. Well, if you ever want to lose five pounds of dead weight, young Chomsky, I suggest cutting off your head. I was going to say
2: start slitting your wrist. Uh, whoa.
1: Jesus Christ. You always – all right, Liz, So we were doing the cutting pun. That's too far, Liz. <laughs> S- Jesus Christ. Dude, you know what he – you know – You guys, we have been in this room. For a long time. It's
3: been a long time.
1: A long time. It is now 5 p.m. We have been in here since, I'm going to say, 1. I got here at 1.30. You came after me. (laughs) I did come after you. But I said we as in a collective. Of course, Liz usually takes her individualist approach (laughs) no longer. So you might be like, oh, my God,
2: please. I can't believe they're talking about improv. They can't be talking about improv on this show. (laughs) Wrong. We are kind of talking about improv because we're talking about spontaneity.
0: Wow.
1: That's a great transition. Yes.
2: We have on the show today, old friend, returning guest. We love a returning guest. Mm -hmm. Vincent Bevins,
1: who he was on the show previously, which apparently that was three years ago. That's fucking crazy. Dude, if I had a kid, he'd be in then. Like if Vincent and I had a kid when we did that, that kid would be three Yeah,
2: by now that's how that works. Um, He has a new book out called "If We Burn: The Mass Protest Decade and the Missing Revolution," and he is here to talk about it and sort of try to make sense of various protest movements that defined the past ten years and how they all failed and why.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good exam. In fact, I would say fantastic uh, examination of the decade 2010 to 2020 and the tactics used by protesters, the protesters themselves, uh, their aims, and what actually happened.
2: Yeah, from Brazil to Hong Kong to Ukraine to Tahir Square and back around again. He goes all over the world kind of tracking these different protest movements, what they learn from each other, what they don't learn from each other, and uh, everything in between. So, um, I think we should get to it.
1: Hey, y'all. Welcome to the first episode of our new sort of revamped (laughs) – sorry. A little nervous (laughs) getting up here in the talking circle. Uh, Revamped podcast. It is called – what was it called? It's called Us Anon. It's called Us Anon, uh, the world's first horizontalist, totally anti-hierarchical podcast. If everybody gets a voice. Everything is based on consensus. Today, we have with us here in the, well, we used to call it a studio, but studio kind of has the letter U in it, so we're just calling it the UCO. Uh, which also has a of U in it, but it's a sort of a different context, and I think it's people, a different U. It's more of a, like a flat U. It's a flat U, exactly, sort of a horizontal U, you might yeah. say. And we're
2: gonna add the umlaut, which everyone knows feels international. It feels international, and it represents
1: yeah. the two. It represents the yin and the yang, right? Which is what we're all about.
2: But we're about the like the meeting of the yin and yang, which makes it complete <clears throat> and yes, whole, absolutely and
1: universal for all. That's it, a U with an umlaut. Uh, an umlaut. Uh, with us here in the USEO, we have author of the Jakarta Method and his new book, If We Burn, the Mass Protest Decade and the Missing Revolution, Vincent Bevins. Vincent, welcome to the show.
4: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for <laughs> thank you very much for having me back. I actually object Clearly. to
1: Vincent speaking right now. <laughs> so I'm gonna hold this podcast. <laughs> Vincent, welcome you job, to have I establish full
4: consensus that I'm allowed to start yeah. Yeah, my yeah. participation. Okay. Good, good, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you very much for having me back. Trillium. I'm glad we're I'm so excited
2: here. to have you on. We had you on the show, we were just talking about it. When was it 2020?
4: Three years ago, 2020. That's crazy when you it say that, was out was The pandemic, I was stuck in downtown Sao Paulo, which was going through a very, very difficult time for reasons we might even talk about now, yeah, but yeah, probably. it was uh, and then you know, the United States was going through uh, a tough in a, a, a special moment too, but yeah, three years ago.
1: It was, and it was a tough moment in the United States, but we had the revolution, and, <laughs> you know, right now we, I would Comrade say... Comrade is not, in the White House. Comrade Biden's in the White House. I'm glad to say that we live in probably the first anti-racist country <laughs> in human history, and, I mean, it must be weird for you to come back, but, uh, you know, welcome back to, to the States. Uh, Vincent, what is this book about? <laughs>
4: So it is, yeah, it is a work of history. It does actually seek to try to tell the story of what happens in the entire 2010s in the entire world, actually. Um, but that's, <laughs> of course, not, not possible. Uh, you have to, in any work of history, sort of pick what the focus is, pick what, the, what you're going to select and what you're going to exclude, sort of guiding questions. And this story is told <clears throat> as if the most important thing that happened in that decade is mass explosions of protests... Um, that fundamentally altered the trajectory of certain countries and indeed the whole planet. I think you know, that works as much as anything else as a way to, to guide the history of the, the 2010s. And then the, the question um, that organizes the history, although I don't try to answer it exactly directly, is how is it that so many mass protests led to the opposite of what they asked for?
2: Yeah, you have a quote in the book. See, Brace asked that question, but we both read the book,
4: we did,
3: and yeah, it we is read, fantastic. Add, yeah, and yeah, it's a great
2: book. I, I think that a, a lot of our listeners are really going to really, really enjoy reading it. You have a quote in the book. The mystery is not only why this package of contention didn't work, but why we thought that it would, which mm-hmm. I think is like a great framing. and. You know, you start. I I appreciate the fact that you start the book and you say basically, like, I'm not going to talk about the U.S., (laughs) (laughs) which is refreshing Mm
3: -hmm. as
2: as Americans. It's refreshing, Um, and it seems like, if I may, that a lot of this book was born out of your own frustration with what you experienced in Brazil in 2013, and kind of watching all of that unfold, and then, as you say, like, why the sort of opposite of what (laughs) Maybe a lot of the people who were taking to the streets, well, we'll talk about that, mm. um, why the opposite sort of occurred as history unfolded. Um, so maybe we can start there, and maybe yeah. you can, we can just talk about what did happen in Brazil in 2013.
4: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Um, I haven't lived in the U.S. since 2006. I don't know it that well compared to a lot of people that could write books about what's happened here recently. And the way that I look at these particulars, particular type of protest explosion the criterion that I, of course, made up myself. none of you know most of the, the countries that, that count are in the global South, or at least outside the traditional first world. And you're absolutely right that my like, deep concern for this topic is personal, uh, mm-hmm. like it is for almost everybody that I know that lived through June 2013
3: mm-hmm.
4: in Brazil. Um, especially people like me that were there early enough to see the very strange direction that it took, um, to remember what the first protests actually looked like um, and not only have the sort of historical memory, that has also almost become sort of hegemonic of what they became. Um, so to summarize really quickly, uh, in June 2013, a group called the Movimento Passi Livri, which is a group that was dedicated to full horizontalist Practice and also wanted to fully decommodify public transportation in Brazil. So, in the long term, they wanted all bus uh, and metro uh, rides to be free for everyone. Mm-hmm. And they, they were founded back in 2005. They really grew out of these sort of, well, they grew out of Indie Media Brazil, if you remember like that website. Yeah,
1: I do remember Indie Media. Yes,
4: I remember mm-hmm. Indie Media. I definitely came up reading Indie Media. Um, and they had always, since 2005, anytime there was a, uh, a rise in the price of a bus fare, they had organized protests. like mm-hmm direct action sort of prefigurative protests that would either stop people from paying for um, public transportation or enter into conflict with the police sort of inevitably. They always did this. Since 2005, they always did this whenever there was a bus fare hike. In 2013, what happens, uh, specifically on June 13, 2013, they do this so many times that the mainstream Brazilian media and sort of the dominant voices in the country demand a crackdown on this movement. Mm. But the police crack down so forcefully that people like me get hit. They crack down so forcefully that members of the sort of respectable mainstream Brazilian media that Mm -hmm. is like owned by oligarchs and I think coincidentally (laughs) is not part of the class. Like These reporters are almost definitionally not part of the class that usually is repressed by the Brazilian military police or else they would have seen what was going to come when you call for this type of crackdown. The crackdown that comes is so horrifying and create so many viral images of like young white respectable brazilian journalists getting attacked and getting getting really injured that the media flips their their narrative entirely mm-hmm. and they go from saying we need to clear the streets of these punks and these anarchists to this is a glorious patriotic Uprising in defense of the right to rise up in general. We are affirming our right to freedom of speech and self expression. And as the Brazilian media flips and sort of tells the country what it's now about, huge amounts of new people enter into the streets. Uh, Long story short, some of these people are now would now be uh, very easily recognized as sort of proto-Bolsonaristas. They, they, mm-hmm. They're like the beginning of what comes together as the f- extreme right movement in Brazil. Different parts of the Brazilian middle class gets yeah. involved. You get involved. You get sort of beefy white guys that are anti-political coming in with a very different idea of what the protest is than the original like, punks and anarchists. The original punks and anarchists try to explain to them, like, oh, hey, actually, this is how we're supposed to do it. Like, you're not supposed to just show up and wave a flag and just make it about whatever, uh, what like, vague nationalism that's very dangerous that can even lead to fascism. The new arrivals are not only <laughs> entirely uh, unprepared to listen to a like, lecture for some skinny punks that are like, you know, uh, on the left, they're like. Speaking. Actually,
2: you, you don't have a time. You can't speak right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you have to wait until the the mic is past you. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're here. Consensus. Our views are valid,
4: which is like ironically what happens to the sort of horizontal group. Um, so many people enter, and they are sort of ideologically committed to not really speaking for anyone or taking leadership in any way. That they have a hard time inserting some some sort of centrality in the protest. But long story short, just seven, f- seven ten days after this first protest that I'm at, that the crackdown comes. The, what I would call the proto Bolsonaristas violently expel from the streets yeah. um, the initial sort of left wing parties and punks and a lot of the kids that had formed the thing uh,
3: very that had violently existed.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they physically throw them out of the street yeah. and, and they're sort of dejected and they. They all decide what to do with that, and they go home. But um, the, the movement that is reproduced to the country by the major media is very different than what some mm. a, a small group of us remember. And these, this initial moment of euphoria, there was like this first moment when everybody's coming. And I think I was guilty of this. A lot of my friends were guilty of it too. We interpreted it as like, oh, it's happening. Like there's, I mean, I, I shouldn't have felt this way. There's
2: millions of people. Yeah. I mean, it was like the, one of the biggest protests in the world. I mean, like, it was, it was massive.
4: Yeah, it went to 2 million people very, very quickly, and it was totally unexpected. And so sort of understandably, the people that were at the beginning thought themselves broadly sympathetic to the goals of, you know, a better welfare state, better public mm-hmm. services. They thought, well, like, this is happening. This is what we've always wanted. Yeah. And, you know, later, one of the members of the— I'm summarizing, I'm paraphrasing one of the articles written eventually by one of the members of the Movimento Passi Livre. He says something like, you know, Um, for eight years all we tried to do was create a popular uprising and then we did and it was awful yeah Mm. because different people came than they expected for different reasons than they expected and and the whole thing just sort of blew up into this sort of yeah this sort of profoundly confounding mix of things that me and other uh, uh, a lot of other people spent the next years 10 years trying to figure out and yeah this is sort of you're right (laughs) this is at the is at the core of what what, why I came back to this so so often
2: yeah, that's the story kind of serves as the backbone to the book, it seems, and you kind of come back to it at different stages as you're sort of visiting other cities throughout the world that are kind of um, other sort of test cases for what you're trying to un- unpack, as we like <laughs> to say in the SEO. Mm. Um you mentioned the bolsonaristas. I'll say it's, I mean, the other part of that was a lot of the kind of like liberal middle class that showed up right. in with all good intentions, yep. most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that kind of, as that unfolds, it's sort of the seeds for what will become Dilma's impeachment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see these sort of two poles of kind of as we're watching history unfold over this decade of the, you know, the the kind of middle class fascists of the bolsonaristas and the the sort of like anti-corruption Dilma, you know, good liberal and you know
3: mm-hmm.
2: um pro-impeachment, good liberals, all sort of unfolding as at this protest mm-hmm. it's it's kind of um, I don't know, it's like a little incubator or something totally. for what will what will become the next decade of Brazilian politics. and as I was reading mm-hmm. it, it just I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on Brazil because there's so many other fascinating movements for us to kind of break down here. But um, the kind of contradiction within the coalition Mm -hmm. that PT was trying to hold together, this sort of like the working class people and the middle class, Mm -hmm. that that coalition was just going to be untenable Mm -hmm. and it was always going to kind of fall apart into something that we see today.
4: Well, the the carpet that is sort of pulled underneath that coalition, which was proved... Remarkably successful and sustainable for quite a long time. I mean, Lula's second term, he ends with like 88% approval rating. Before June 2013, Dilma is incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that turns out not to be sustainable, and if you look back, it probably never was, is that the way that the the these people were brought together and especially the way that the previously very marginalized working classes were brought into a sort of sense of citizenship, a sort of full... Full, full, um, full membership in the Brazilian nation was through consumer power. Absolutely. So it was sort of you know there's a a nice, nice there's a a a, a brilliant uh, Brazilian scholar Rosana uh, Piana Machado who calls this uh, inclusion through consumption, Mm -hmm. and when the the second Dilma government falters, when the economy starts to. Crack when this consumption power is taken away from the lower middle class, sort of the classic, you know, the classic subject of historical fascism, like the petty bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. They no longer feel any um, uh, loyalty to the party that has made their ascension possible in the first place. It's being pulled away from them.
0: Sure.
4: Um, they become sort of often like like micro entrepreneurs that are very li- allied with uh, reactionary forces in the country. And in this moment, when Dilma's second term starts to falter not in, not only because of reaction, I mean, the economy gets worse. This is, you know, it probably was inevitably going to happen. There's some mistakes that are made in the workers' party. Forces that are born, forces that learn in June 2013 that they're also allowed to – pro. they can also use this kind of um, the popular sympathy with whatever happened in June 2013. Very cynical but well-organized free market – libertarian, often funded by the United States. If I think, thanks from the United States, one of the major characters who I interviewed mm-hmm. um, had trained uh, uh, under the Cook brothers here in the U.S. They it's realized...
2: The Atlas Network. We've talked about them on our show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm.
4: Movimento... So I, I explained at the very beginning, this an original group of left anarchists is called Movimento Passi Livri, M.P.L. Mm-hmm. This group of... Which was at the time Estudantes pela Liberdade, like Students for Liberty, which is a which was like the Brazilian franchise of the U.S. Students for Liberty, mm-hmm. which is part of the like, which is funded by the Atlas Network.
1: Yeah, Listen, I met in, in uni. We call it, but we met, we met through that.
4: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they have, yeah, mm-hmm. they have like fun conferences all around the world. Oh, they do yeah. like oh, do yeah. like effective sort of like mm-hmm. social like transfer of like knowledge and yeah. Things. Thus, you trained with Moro there. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful Moro wind. <laughs> And they, they, in within this, like, cauldron, I think, we'd you say the incubator, like, you know, pressure cooker of 20, June 2013, they decide to make a bid to re-signify the meaning of the streets. And so they form a group yeah. called Movimento Brasil MBL.
1: So this is smart. They, they, they basically see this successful group called MPL. It's getting all this
4: attention. Yeah.
1: So they start MBL. Which
4: sounds exactly the same exactly. in Portuguese. Yeah, yeah, To the yeah, point yeah. where I, when I was over the last two years telling people in Brazil, oh, I'm, you know, I'm interviewing all kinds of people. I'm interviewing Haddad, you know, the, now the finance minister is mayor of São Paulo at the time. I'm interviewing the MPL. Everyone would just be like, "Oh, the MBL." Like they would like that their like brand is now so much stronger than yeah. the group that they copied that they actually won this yeah. bid to resignify yeah. the streets. So when consumption is taken away, when this sort of like I don't want to call it neoliberal, but the way that the PT um, economic model that had been formulated it's like
2: consumption social democrat, I mean, it was like a way for getting. Poor people's lives better, but it was through this sort of. And, yeah. There was a limitation there, right?
4: Especially when the you know when when the when the economy slows down a bit. Yeah. Uh, it was built on getting you know everybody got better off, including the the, the poor, yeah. but the rich got you know quite better off too. Sure. <laughs> when this all fell apart.
2: But then they had to suddenly share all their services with poor people. Well,
4: this was a huge problem too. People yeah. people were furious in the Brazilian elite that they had to pay more to their maids uh, in the like the peak years of like mm-hmm. lulista. Economic success. This is a big, this is a big "quote unquote" crisis for a lot of people. But yeah, just to get back to what actually happens when this rug is pulled out, um, this MBL and the you know the liberal middle class and indeed reactionary forces that you know at the very beginning they're only sort of the, you can be you can ignore them if you want. Some of the good liberals tell themselves that they're ah they're, they don't really matter. Um, get together yeah, to the soccer
2: fans, put, yeah, yeah. Well, the soccer <laughs> yeah, the soccer
4: fans go in every direction in Brazil. Ironically, the a lot of the like. Scariest ultras in Brazil are pro Lula and pro democracy, like Mm -hmm. the Corinthians ultras, or the uh, like in a real like condition of like street battles. That they would probably win. They're like pro, they're on the left probably. Uh, Well, they're definitely like pro democracy, but then the. They come together from 2015, 2016, sort of pretending to be the same thing as happened on the street in June June 2013, but they have an entirely different set of goals, and they're not horizontalists. they're not leaderless, they have, they're willing to work with elites, and they're willing to take power in any way that they can, and they ultimately, be, a lot of these MBL kids, uh, enter uh, Congress in the same election in which uh, Bolsonaro becomes president.
2: Yeah, you have a funny. Um, your first little nod to Bolsonaro is when you say, "Oh, I'm in. You know, I'm at Congress. There's all this chaos. It's during Dilma's impeachment. Right. And you're like, oh, I to, I got a quote from this guy from Bolsonaro, but he's this fringe, uh, this fringe character. I don't need to to put it in my story. Right. It's not going to work. And then suddenly, I mean, that was one of Bolsonaro's big defining moments mm-hmm. um, when he says those awful things about her, and um, you know, kind of the stage is set for his, right. you know, his bid, which is, of course, in the works for a very long time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but, the, you know, the country takes a total, like, right, I mean, total, total turn. Yeah. And like you say, these members from NBL who are very organized, who are very well-financed, who are very, um, like you say, not leaderless, yeah. but they're suddenly in power and ready to move. Um, it's a bit disorienting, no? I mean, you, yeah.
4: Yeah. Yes, the yeah no the years of 2014 like I everyone remember the years of 2014 to 2018 were wildly disorienting in Brazil because like going back and interviewing some of the members of MPL in 2014 when Dilma faces off against the center right um, presidential candidate they're horrified that like the center right might actually win like for the first time in there you know they're all often they're like 20 22 they're like the idea that oh my god the right quote unquote which is like this is not the right com- compared to what actually comes into power. Uh, in 2018. But,
1: yeah, it's like a center right. Yeah,
4: center-right. it's a it's a party. It's called the social democratic party. It's like, yeah, you know, I, it's like founded by yeah. Fernando Henrique Cardoso, which def- he definitely neoliberalizes the economy, but he comes from a tradition. He's a dependency theorist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like a
2: classic, but like, yeah, yeah. Your classic yeah. South
4: American center right, like, yeah, yeah, I fought the dictatorship. I think that we need to privatize everything, this kind of guy. <laughs> uh, and that even to them was like, they could not believe it. And then when the impeachment started, no one could believe that that actually might actually go through and then they actually impeached her. And then Michelle Temer was actually the president for two years and he had like six percent approval ratings, but it just didn't matter. Like
0: there was demonstrably no (laughs) yeah.
4: There was just demonstrably no support or legitimacy for this guy. And it just didn't matter. Yeah. Like there's no referee that came in and was like, well that's, you know, that's they've they violated the rules there. And then it just and then Bolsonaro just went and like just there's this like like thing after thing just keep like I don't know, there's like I don't even know if I want to even try to explain what the the phrase is, but like there's a like in Portuguese, they say like the well just like kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. You thought you were at the bottom, it just kept you just kept yeah. going. Um yeah, so yes, absolutely. It's a long way of saying absolutely it was profoundly disorienting. Until the point when I was last last on the show with you guys, like 2020 <laughs> in, the, in the pandemic was insane. It was like what was what Sao Paulo went through under under Bolsonaro's governance in that pandemic was like literally unimaginable to the version of myself that moved into that neighborhood 8 mm. years prior there was just like it would have you it would have been impossible for me to conceive what ultimately happens
2: so this it's at this point i mean that you start going elsewhere th- throughout the world to try to kind of piece together What happened both in Sao Paulo but also what was happening elsewhere and why everything was failing. So where do you go
4: first? Well, like personally, I moved to Indonesia uh, after finally like wrapping up my like posting in Brazil in 2016. And then like, you know, lo and behold, it's like one of these many things that popped up over all over the decade. There is like a what appears to be a grassroots like digitally coordinated people power protest but really, it's just Islamists demanding that the Chinese governor be imprisoned for being Chinese. Basically, like right. he, they accuse him of doing of of committing blasphemy, uh, which he didn't, uh, because they someone had manipulated a, a Facebook clip, and they all get together. They all wear white. They all swarm. Yeah. They all swarm the center of downtown Jakarta. And by this point in the decade, there's like a real flip because back in 2010 or 11 and 12, at the very beginning, which is where I ultimately go, like, to start the reporting for this book. Everyone sort of assumed that when the people swarm the streets and the internet is involved, that's automatically a good thing. It's an aggressive thing.
1: Yeah, necessarily. Yeah. Like
4: necessarily, if the internet's involved and the people are on the streets, that's that's like history. That's like Napoleon on the horse, like moving, yeah. moving us forward towards you know the promised land of democracy, freedom, whatever it is that you believe is going to come next. Uh, but by the end of the 2020, you know, indeed by like, you know, after like January 6th and January 8th, we think probably the exact opposite. If there's a swarm of people that see a viral post and then, you know, rush mm-hmm. to on the Capitol for, for some reason. Uh, so, yeah, eventually when I start working on this book full time in 2019, I go back to the – where it kind of starts, which is Tunisia.
1: Yeah. I mean you cover you cover a number of different, I think, pretty notable protest movements that happened throughout the last decade. Starting in Tunisia, but also with Turkey, Egypt, uh, South Korea, Hong Kong. Uh, but I think I think starting with Tunisia is important because. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of the so-called Arab. I love calling it the so-called Arab yeah, Spring. Yeah, I never say
4: Arab Spring straight up in my own voice. You have in to say book. so-called. I say so-called. You have yeah. to say
1: so-called because that well, is well, a, that a is a lot of a,
4: Arab like people that I interview get really mad at me if you just yeah you it's, actually, it's
1: it's a Western it was a, an, it's yeah. a Western appellation or whatever <laughs> or whatever you would call it. it's a Western name for it yeah um but but I I, I think that is uh, I mean I, we made this point on the show before and I feel like a lot of listeners probably know this by now but like without that sort of promise of like digital revolutions or like this connectivity that right. the internet was bringing us and this you know this proliferation of images you know uh you know just transmitted from person to person uh was going to bring a progressive change just like that was that moment right, right? that and like the 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 pro- the uh, protests in Iran uh, around the yeah, two thousand eight was
4: like the real beginning. That was, exactly. that was the first time all my friends put a square of a certain color on their Facebook. <laughs> card. Yes, but not the last.
1: <laughs> I feel like twenty twenty unfortunately killed that, but hopefully, did, in like yeah. another when things cycle back, like in another eight years, it'll
2: be when we all have our little avatars. We'll all yeah. have to do something. We'll all be, yeah. be kiss makeup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
1: so one thing that that. Uh, becomes pretty apparent with the Tunisia stuff is like the promise of the digital revolution, right? Right. Like you get, you know, you have this very viral incident of the, of the, uh, the, I think he's a fruit or vegetable seller burning himself to, or self immolating. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then that, you know, that bringing a lot of people out onto the streets, um, in this sort of like, in many ways, like a leaderless sort of just like mass protest movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the case of Tunisia, you do point out that there is a Hogeist party, which yes. I've always, that's been one of my little factoids, that I know that there's a, a fairly sizable Hogeist party in Tunisia.
4: They, they are not, I mean, they're not huge, but they they were involved at the very beginning. The The Workers' Party, like, is probably one of many, many things that without which the Tunisian revolution would not have gotten over the line from, you know, a regional rebellion in Sidi Bouzid to something in the capital. Like, and, I, you know, I spent a bunch of time with the, the these, this part of the, the, the yeah, the Hojist Tunisian Workers' Party. They were, like, they were really, they were a big part of it. The fact that there was a big uh, Tunisian labor union was yeah. a part of it. Um, but as you point out, like... The story that gets told especially around the world is more about the of, of Facebook like media yes, yes whereas really if you go and look like all oh, these people had been like organized and fighting and trying to form networks of people in the interior of like brutally neoliberalized Tunisia for for a long time but the thing that really becomes important especially in like the pages of the New York Times or on CNN is the existence of like Facebook uh, coordination and like yeah. the internet
1: and that becomes like the 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 actual of of all the Arab Spring stuff especially in the, or I guess the early Arab Spring stuff uh, that becomes sort of the story in the Western media. Is like, yeah, they have like these local demands, and you know they're wonderful. We support them, whatever. Like, or we support the ones that we report about. Um, <laughs> but but really, like, we're actually just entering this beautiful new progressive age of the internet, which is so funny because that is such the opposite of really like kind of the good liberal tack now, which is that that Facebook, especially, but the but social media in general is just like it's only for misinformation, right? Yeah. Um, but at the time, it was like, it was the new progressive tool. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, I think you mentioned, I, I can't remember who wrote this, uh, some columnist being like, we don't need, you know, there's no bullets anymore. It's like, we're firing off posts and stuff <laughs> like that.
4: You yeah, know, like the, yeah, the Che Guevara of the 21st century is the network.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, which is—it's just so funny in retrospect, isn't yeah. Like,
4: it's just— it's- That's the exact opposite. Yeah, the idea was that the internet was going to Americanize the world. And mm-hmm. then especially after 2016, the the inter- the narrative is that, like, the internet is the vehicle through which, like, bad other countries are conquering America. Yes. Like, whether it be <laughs> Russia or China or—yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah
1: But it is funny because the internet did really Americanize the
4: world. I think it did. Yeah. I think it did.
1: And something that you you take pains to point out in this book is that it really sort of almost homogenized in many ways or at least drew – a lot of these different protests happening in wildly different parts of the world drew inspiration in terms of like tactics and messaging from other protests that were right. happening across the world too and so what were some similarities that you noticed between all of these like you know the different demands, different people, different places, but like similar sort of i guess you would say vibes <laughs> what are the what are the what are the similarities you noticed between a lot of these yeah,
4: moves? so uh, like with the internet, especially social media, I think you did you did see a kind of a flattening of space and time, which in some ways could allow for this really cool, like very um, inspiring transfer of solidarity from one country to another, like re- contagion of revolutionary elan yeah. of spirit. And that's, I think, like entirely positive. Um, but like the type of protest that I choose to describe in this book, I think we have kind of already ske- sketched it out, but it tends to be uh, apparently spontaneous digitally coordinated, horizontally organized, mm-hmm. leaderless mass protests in a public square or in public uh, space. And this is very far from the only type of what the only way that you can respond to government injustice or that you can push for change in a given society. But this became quite hegemonic, indeed perhaps seeming as if it's the only natural way to act in the 2010s. Yes. And this really happens after Tahrir Square. So Tunisia, while in Tunisia, you kind of if you if you are paying attention if you actually know a little bit about Tunisia, and again, a lot of the people that showed up from whatever, like you know, uh, uh, MS, NBC News, did not. You could identify, okay, that's that party, that's that union, that's that Maoist like, mid-level tendency in that union, which mm-hmm. was quite important to flipping them in the final instance. That's the professional society, that's the lawyers' organization. Whereas in Egypt, what you had was when the protests, which again, were organized by very dedicated and hardworking Uh, activists, some on the radical left, some who really believed in building a party and uh, believed in building uh, a working class power, they did not plan for them to explode as big as they did. So they ended up being able in a strange position where uh, after the first protest on January 25th, uh, way more people come than they expect. On January 28th, the police, like, lose control of the city. They, like, flee. Yeah. And they're in a position to do basically whatever they want at that point. But what they do is they take Tahrir Square um, because in these moments of, like, revolutionary possibility, you tend to do what you know, and that's what they knew. Yeah, um, A lot of people that I spoke to said, well, I wish we would have done this. I wish we would have taken... Like uh, over the television station and set up like yeah. a revolutionary. Couch. This is
1: also my advice. You always <laughs> want to get communications. You want communications? those unlocked. Block the highways out of the city. No one in or out. <laughs> yeah, Interior I mean, ministry, inter, of course. Yeah, and armories.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's things they could have done, but what they do is they take the square, mm-hmm. and in this square, there is kind of this, 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 this apparent leaderlessness is kind of you know it's it is fundamental to the the configuration of what's going on in the square. You can't really say who's doing it exactly. I mean, if you look closely, the Muslim Brotherhood is probably the most organized group in there, but there's all kinds of people. And then this is the dynamic that really becomes important that you just described. Like, a lot of the people that I spoke to that had been working behind the scenes, like, taking huge risks for a very long time, like, watched in horror as, like, a viral post or someone that's good at Twitter or someone that gets selected by the Western media become the de facto spokespeople for mm-hmm. uh, uh, something which is supposed to be everyone in the square, and this this like scene, which is like undeniably inspiring. Like if you rewatch like all these you know like the footage and the films, even if you have this like you know critical view that I come to the book with, it's like oh yeah, that is you know that that you can see how that scene broadcast to the whole world of every kind of Egyptian coming together in the square to call for the overthrow of a dictator uh like like lesbians and communists and islamists and like salafists everybody's coming together uh and like breaking bread together um that really inspires quite a lot of other movements around the world and whether or not they're directly inspired because like occupy wall street is directly inspired the Umbrella Movement is a copy of Occupy Wall Street, which is directly inspired. Or in the case of Brazil and in, in, um, Turkey, for example, or even I think Ukraine to some extent in 2013, even if they weren't – even if they drew on local traditions of contention, they tend to be viewed by the media, which matters so much to the uh, the ultimate outcome of the protests, as the same kind of deal. But like – Doing the same kind of deal that you would do to overthrow an, uh, uh, a dictator in Egypt, where quite a lot of the people would have were, were for that, really is brings up a lot of strange questions mm-hmm. when confronted with a d- democracy, even if it's, if it's an imperfect democracy like Ukraine, or if it's a democracy like Brazil, where like actually, really Dilma wanted as much as anyone on the streets to keep the price of a bus down. She actually had pushed to keep that down herself, and so the degree to which Social media flattens our, our, our perception of space and time, allows for a transfer of solidarity, but also like the adoption of stuff that looks really, really cool on TV and is represented to the world in a certain way by people like me who were, should not have been in a position to be interpreting anything for anyone. We did not know. We, we did not have the sort of intellectual or material resources to be doing that. We, we had no business and we failed very often in doing that. Um... And I think all of that adds, has has a lot of consequence for the rest of the way the rest of the, the decade unfolds.
1: I think the flattening you mentioned in terms of social media is really important to this because so many of these protests almost seem like a real life um, reflection of the the sort of promise of social media, right? Mm-hmm. This kind of like this this d- democratization, this direct democracy, which is. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started on that. But one of my most hated uh, little trends uh, that kind uh, of that gets brought up uh, very often. But there's like this, this horizontalism, this like flattening, uh, this democratization that comes from social media is like reflected in these like large leaderless movements. And that's seen in itself as like a progressive thing, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever the aims of the movement are, the fact that like a lot of people of different beliefs are getting together in a central area – uh, without any clear direction or leader is itself seen as a progressive right. thing by the media that is reporting on it right? right and i'm pointing at you but that's just because i'm making a point i'm not i'm one of at i was into- one of them
4: i absolutely <laughs> am i am that. like i there, that's another part i mean go back to what like is like first question that also that's like another reason that i put myself in this book is because i think that like i was in a position to know enough about how news is produced to be very critical of the way that like my class, like foreign correspondents, act in these very important moments?
1: Well, that's that's really yeah. what I wanted to ask because something that you, you, you bring up several times in the book is that like if your movement does not like have its – like does not select its own leaders, does not select its own representation, its own spokesman, then the media will do that for you.
4: Or someone will, yeah.
1: Uh, someone will do that for – yeah,
4: someone will do that off for in you. Often the media, often the state of – depend, depends who, who's the most powerful, like yeah. who has the biggest microphone in that – you know, And a lot
2: of times those are one and the same thing.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, tell us. Like, can you can you give us some examples of like of what we're talking about here, right? Because uh, th- throughout the book, several times you do point out like the media selects these spokesmen, or the state will will select people to meet with. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Like, why is that important? Why does it matter that that is the thing that's happening?
4: Yeah, there's a really famous essay that like indeed these Brazilians like pointed me two years ago, but everyone sort of cites it. It's called the Tyranny of Structurelessness. Back in the seventies,
1: heavily recommend anybody involved.
4: in <laughs> It's like in two pages. Work. It's great. It's uh, really it's, it's, it's zippy. It's wonderful. good. And the basic contention is something that she lived through, and the I think it was like that would have been called the women's liberation movement as a feminist activist in the U.S. Is that when you insist that there is no structure, when you insist that there's no leaders, just you know, no matter how good your intentions are, if the group's big enough some leader or, or structure will emerge, but often that leader or structure has not been selected in a self-conscious or democratic way. Often it's just the person with the most like, social capital in a small group or if it's a very big group, it might be the person with the most like financial capital or with like, a really, really big situation, the mm-hmm. people with like, all the guns and all the, all the TV stations. Um, and so as you said, like, in some cases in this book, like in Brazil, in the M- MPI Lee is like horizontalist. They like, really believe in... Yeah in uh, full horizontality and in other cases you just kind of get concrete horizontality which is the you know even though many Egyptians would have loved to have an organized revolutionary party, just like it wasn't there because of the decimation of civil society under neoliberalism and and, and Mubarak. Um, But to the extent that these things did exist, and this is like, you know, Jack Schenker, who who was a gardening correspondent at the time, he talks about this in his book. The prefigurative elements, the ones that seem most structuralist, seem most leaderless, are the ones that are perhaps least um, productive, but they're the ones that are the most likely to get you foreign a positive foreign media coverage because if the people in the square me if you, like just like a thought experiment if like the people quote unquote in the square are clearly united behind a revolutionary party of one type or another with clear goals odds are that's going to be something different than what like the CNN wants them to have as a goal yes. because <laughs> this is another slippage that happens all the time is that the like the, the media outlets with the biggest microphones in on the planet in the era of like sort of like americanized inter- like, internet uh, us global hegemony Don't understand the like properly third worldist aspirations of a lot of people on the streets. Like, if you ask people what they really, really wanted in Egypt, uh, a lot of the time it would be like economic advancement, which would be more like we want to live like the first world, in the sense like we want to be as rich as you. Yeah. Whereas often CNN looks at this and they're like, no, no matter what the what is happening, it's just like oh they want democracy, which means they just want to ally with the United States. Yeah. Whereas what they want often is like no, give us your money. Like this, the global system is. Uh, stacked against us, we demand to be accepted into the re- like, we, like, whatever promise that can ever be made to us to be allowed to enter the rich first world, that's what we want. Yeah. And then the other side of this strange, like, you know, this, this loop of, of representation and re representation, the other side of it is like, oh yeah, they want to be like on our side in whatever it is that we want, you know, uh, whatever that means uh, at the time. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about how a lot, you know, going through the – as you're sort of like breaking down and critiquing all these kind of various movements, that in each instance they really show the sort of um, limitations of the historical moment in which they're produced. Mm -hmm. And so much of that has to do with our early entry into social media, Mm -hmm. right? And this new technology that I think we didn't – that we were very – I mean I say we because I'm, you know – I don't want to. It's not. We're not accusing anyone here. But like that, we everyone was very um, excited about, and it did feel like, oh, maybe this can be a tool for organizing. This can be this neutral mm-hmm. sort of space mm-hmm. that, as if technology can never be neutral or you know, um, used in that way. And instead, what we see is it kind of produce and reproduce that same. You know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the kind of networked horizontalism that the structure of the internet produced also produces the social movements that emerge out of it and receive the popularity from it. Like there's a, you know, that's obviously, um, you know, there's a bit of a connection there.
4: Yeah, I think what I say at the end, slightly annoyingly, is that there is an elective affinity between pre-existing ideological currents that like draw on like libertarian or anarchist or, or new left tendencies uh, there's an elective affinity between those pre-existing currents and the like material structure, the like built environment of the internet that we get. And again, as you point out, like it's not like it's not it wasn't the only internet that was possible. Like the, the, right. that tool could have been controlled and structured in many many ways. We got an internet that was structured by capitalist firms embedded in California ideology and California, like uh, uh, and U.S. Uh, uh, in the political economy of the United States and like. At like a moment of, you know, sort of peak neoliberalism, like, you know, who knows how, how things could have, you know, what if the invention the internet was invented in the 1930s and the Soviet <laughs> Union and the United States both had different, vir- you know, on the yeah, one hand, yeah, you have like absolutely. a Keynesian internet where they would have never, even even on the US side, would have never considered privatizing it in the way that they, they did automatically in the 90s and right. the Soviets doing, you know, like, who knows what Chile would have cooked up if they had been able to continue experimenting <laughs> for uh the, as they were in, uh, under Allende. but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like there was, there was this, th- these things combined uh, uh, to to create this combination of, of yeah, what did you call it at the very beginning? This uh, uh, an incubator incubator that you got on the streets of June 2013 in Brazil, and like the kinds of things that popped up in slightly different ways mm-hmm. uh, across the, the the decade, and the things that were often viewed in the same way, even when they happened, in profoundly different. National circumstances. And this, like, again, back to Brazilian, like, so this is like what I think about the most is like, no one knew what to do, with, like, literally, knew, no one knew what to do with what was happening. Like, yeah. the president didn't know what to do with what was happening. The group that caused this mass explosion didn't know what to do with what was happening. The mayor of no one just, no one knew what, how to respond to this, this thing that it, had that it exploded. And everybody found their way, their way, their different paths out of it. And the right ultimately wins the battle to define uh, the future, you know, or at least the, the, the years that come.
2: Yeah, it's funny because it's almost like uh, there was a mirror between people Dilma and Empower wanting the same thing as the people on the streets, and yet yeah. both of them again in in sort of mirror image, not knowing what to do. Yeah, it was a very bizarre situation. I bring up the thing about the technology though because I think that and and you don't do this in your book, which I think is good. But I do think there's a tendency. When you're sort of like looking back at these things, to be like, oh, if you'd only done this, yeah. then it would have turned out differently, when it's just not that simple. Now you
4: have to reimagine an entirely different configuration of totally. political and economic oh, uh, yeah, and party absolutely. forces. Totally. You
1: have to a, reimagine like the past 50 years.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I,
2: but saying that, I do think that you offer some very potent, we'll say, criticisms of the horizontalist approach. Mm-hmm and kind of breaking down why, you know, as we're talking about here. But, I mean, you do really, I mean, at the beginning of the book, you go back into, like, the new left, right, where a lot of these ideas, again, from America, really kind of get cooking <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: in
2: the 60s and then just don't stop.
4: <laughs> up. Yeah, um, Just keep cooking right until up until Seattle 99.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you even go back further to talk about Lenin a little bit right. and kind of a more centralist approach and what he saw. So maybe we can go a little bit in that direction, maybe what some of those
4: criticisms are. Maybe the ones what that we come out learn. at the very end of the book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I try not to, I mean, I try, the, the reason that I go try to go in chronological orders. I really want to like show where this comes from and why people decided to take the positions that they did. Because it all makes yeah. a lot of sense at the time. And I don't think anybody wants to hear from, like, me, Vincent Bevins in 2023 being like, this is what the right way, this is the, like, logical problems with any given approach to, to a political organization. We watch what happens over the whole decade. And over the, that decade, hopefully we, like, you know, hopefully if the, the, the book does what it's supposed to, the reader, like, Sees what unfolds along with the actual participants, and yeah. at the very end of the book, I try not to like deliver again these, these final retrospective analyses in my own voice. Like I could try to find the most eloquent. Luckily, they, like, there's a lot of them. They're very <laughs> eloquent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they and spent they ten years thinking say. about this stuff. Absolutely. The, from you know, from Egypt to Brazil to Ukraine, and you get overlapping themes. Um, you get an over like to be um, wildly oversimplistic you often see, if not a return to the historical Lenin, like some people come across, uh, come away from this book just being like, read Lenin, read *What Is to be done. Like yeah. go back to the historical Lenin. I think Lenin. we've
1: said that on our podcast, <laughs> that's funny yeah, enough. It's, it's it's really the simplest solution to most
4: problems. <laughs> um, <laughs> some people, that's explicitly what they come back to. Some people come back to something that you I could call, again, maybe perhaps annoyingly, theoretically, like a kind of a anti-anti-Leninism, which is like, when in the 60s, they just tried to reject every single thing that the Bolsheviks did because they didn't like the way the Soviet Union yeah. turned out, you end up throwing out a lot of things that work. And if you just de- define yourself as the absolute inverse of what you thought the mistakes of the Soviet Union were, you're going to be end up like really limiting yourself intellectually. You have to, you know, as the MST um, says, and I spent a lot of the summer with them, and they like ironically kind of, not ironically because this was on purpose, sort of – I think, also provide an eloquent answer to the question of organization, but that won't come out till later this year. But what they say is you have to drink from many fountains. Like, you can't just throw out, even if you are the particular type of new left actor that rejected this legacy of the Soviet Union in the second half of the 20th century, a lot of people from that long legacy told me by 2021, 2022, you just can't throw out. You, just, you can't, can't just do the exact opposite. Some people end up in the same place. Some people say, you know, like, some of the people in the book remain committed to the ideals they had in 2010, and hopefully, like, I reproduce also faithfully the way the reasons that they still do so, but that is a um, that tendency was generalized. The, the tendency to to say, get as organized as you can before the thing happens. Don't try to form something out of the viral yes. post or the moment of heat that yeah. is going to get everyone on the streets, because I you know across a very very set of different circumstances in the decade. A general rule for interpreting what happens is that the groups that are most organized and best at real collective action before the thing starts end up doing the best out of it. Um, and real collective action, historically, if you look at it, that often means some kind of some kind of decision-making process. That some often means some kind of formal structure for deciding on what is to be done uh, quickly. It's very hard to get a group of people to reach consensus all at once about. Uh, a change in tactics when, when situations change very quickly and also when you are committed to this like total horizontalism that everyone's equal as the MPL was, they had no idea how to integrate, this is something that happened with SDS back in the 60s, they did not know how to integrate huge amounts of people that actually came wanting to join their group huge like there was a moment where they were riding really high and you know people all across Brazil were really inspired by the MPL and they said we want to join the MPL we want to be in the MPL and so there's two options in that situation they could either create a two-tier system of the MPL, which, like, no, that's Leninism. That's a Leninist deviation. You can't do that. If you were to create a a one-tier where there are people that... Because they knew that their their dedication was not something that everybody could...
1: It's not replicable. Yeah, Yeah.
4: like, regular people aren't going to go to 14-hour meetings every single day for six months. But they thought if we formed, like, the, you know, central committee, uh, or the, like... (laughs) Or, you know, just, like, the, like... vanguard. Yeah, or if we form, like, you know, the... The the organizing committee, which like the M- MST is totally fine with having. If we form like the organizing committee, but then like the regular members, like the rank and file trainees, that's Leninism. Yeah. But then if we let everybody in, then what is the MPL? Because if you let in 1,000 people, then the original 40 people that have built this thing together for, you know, 40 to 80 people that have built this thing for the last uh, eight years, they no longer have any say over what it is. It just becomes, you know— the more people that join, it just becomes whatever Brazil is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that across uh, the decade, and, and uh, I could be repeating myself now, so feel free to, to remove free to, to it, is a generalized tendency to, to, to understand that representation of some kind in some kind of structure is probably inevitable. So the task then is just to try to build the best organizations, Mm. build the best structures, build the best means for acting collectively and democratically that you can given the complexity and very imperfect nature of of the global society right now.
1: One thing that becomes pretty apparent in reading the book too is that um – a lot of these groups, once they realize, because I think a lot of people understood pretty quickly on during the protests that like, okay, like maybe some of these like more horizontalist groups, like we actually don't have the ability to manage this or mm-hmm. to get people to sort of join us. And like th- this is going in directions that we had, we had not necessarily foreseen right? Uh, and that are oftentimes the exact opposite of what we might have wanted, especially in the case of, you know, something like Brazil right. or, or Egypt. Um but uh, it, you know, you you make the point is that like if you create a vacuum or if a vacuum comes into into being, something is going to fill that vacuum. Like yeah. there is no there is no vacuum basically. Like yeah. you, you might have one for a couple of days, but like that's getting filled quickly. And something that that I I notice is that like, and this is even just beyond uh, you know what you write in your book is that like a lot of people on the left, I think, don't take themselves very seriously in, like, a real way, right? Like, there, there's an, an allergy to power uh, and to organization that, that, uh, that is apparent even on just the, the level of their own organizations, right? Like, uh, this horizontalist sort of tendency that has, has kind of come out of the new left but really uh, metastasized in the 90s and then now is essentially, like, even if an organization claims otherwise, often very much at the fore, um, you know, if if you can't if you can't uh, be willing to take power, somebody who is willing to take power will. And people are generally not attracted to organizations that seem allergic to power mm-hmm. and to seem to 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 not want it. Um, and 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 one thing that I I think a lot of of people think. Uh, on the left in america as well is that like if you just blow something up like that's all you really need to think about right. and I, and uh, people don't often actually blow things up that's actually usually the territory of uh, of people on the right but like if you if you create as much chaos as possible and you know you destroy something burn it all down that like something Spontaneously, right. beautiful and like uh, uh, wonderful will will happen in the aftermath because you were beautiful and you were wonderful in your tactics to yeah. achieve that.
4: Just like one perfect riot, you know, like exactly one <laughs> weird trick to end yeah. history for all times. If we just do the perfect riot, and it gets big enough. That's it. That's the that's the that's the end. You know, yeah. Just you know, the end of the movie, and then ha- ha- like um, happily ever ever after, which is like you know, it sounds like a bit silly, but like so, like as tragically and like stupid as it sounds and like i'm not trying to be um like to to shit on people that like risk their lives and things but like some people were like explicitly inspired by movies that end like that like yes. V for Vendetta. If you, I, I went back and I watched V for Vendetta. Oh, uh, horrible like, film. I, <laughs> I do like recommend because like it literally just. How ended. does it hold
2: up? It's
4: crazy. Because it wasn't it
3: good <laughs> the
2: time. People I know, didn't even like but, it it's, back then. but it's so it's weird crazy. because it was like because it became it had such a like mimetic power. I yeah. mean, and you talk about it explicitly in the book, like because there's the kid who puts on the mask right. and goes viral. I mean, in one of the first first in one of the first instances of virality <laughs> like <laughs> literally goes viral listing these political demands right that then get picked up by like Globo or someone in yeah. Brazil, and become he basically becomes a
4: spokesperson for oh, this. Oh, he defines the the nature of the streets for like for, yeah, to for some it. extent for a few days at least, yeah.
2: Yeah, in Brazil during this movement, and it's just some kid. I mean, you you talk to him in the book, and you're like, wait, so where did you get those ideas? And he's like, oh, I just made it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like what stuff that he read
4: on Facebook and like right like on the Facebook feeds of like center right or right wing and it comes to like
2: define how. Like, the 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 sort of, like, protest movement, like, starts
4: targeting
2: the sort of, like, corrupt nature of Brazilian—this, like, very nebulous kind yep. of feeling of corruption about the state of Brazil.
4: Yeah, there's a—again, def- there's an elective affinity totally between the concerns of the center-right media that once they decide that this is a good thing— Yeah. And I don't think this is a conspiratorial—this happens in a conspiratorial way because I talked to Haddad, like, the— who was the mayor at the time about this? And I was like literally in the newsroom of like the Brazil's yeah. most mainstream newspaper. I don't think this happens in a conspiratorial way, but when they're trying to like supply reasons for why this is a good thing in the, like five minutes, then like after they said it was a really bad thing, <laughs> they're going to come up with things that just like there are their own deep ideological assumptions. Absolutely, because like, okay, you're just literally
2: riffing off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you have the guy like I can't remember which newscaster it was, but yeah. he's like looking at live a live Tano. poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. where the, the like viewers are saying that they support the protesters and he had just been like speechifying about how like the police need to kind of like beat all these people up right. and he just immediately has to find something in his own little like bourgeois brain <laughs> yeah. to make sense of it, yeah, why is it on good? the fly because yeah. he's riffing like everyone else in the
4: media yeah, exactly. and so of
2: course his own ideological biases I mean, are going to come I this happened
4: out. with me I only spent like one sentence on this in the book but like over the next few days people like me had to go like out into the crowd Mm-hmm. I mean, had to. This was like... The task very stupidly handed to us by the particular configuration of media production and like the global economy. But people like me went out into the crowd and were like, well, what are you here for? What are you here for? Like put a little video together. Mm -hmm. Dom Phillips, like a friend of mine who worked, like worked with me, he was like like, tragically killed in the Amazon last year. He like went out like for this blog that I was like editing at the Brazilian newspaper. Everybody went out and like spent a couple hours being Well, what do you want? What What do you want? And I found very quickly, again, without any of us like, I think not consciously trying to impose our own ideological vision on this, we all came up with explanations that like, oh, yeah, lo and behold, it's kind of like reflects what Vincent's politics are versus mm. what Dama's politics are versus yeah. what Jose's politics are versus what Datena's politics are, which was this, you know, very populist kind of like law and order TV personality that was like, yeah, as you said, like in one second had to figure out how to, in his ideology, say this is a good thing. Um, and so anti-corruption. So the, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but before the explosion in June 2013, corruption was listed as the biggest problem in Brazil by like four or five percent of people, and this jumps to 21, 22 percent. And this is something that there is again an elective affinity between this one guy in the V for Vendetta mask mm-hmm. and the media that like these types of demands more than right. the expansion of the welfare state because it's easier that, to sell, it's easier to talk about, and it doesn't cost any money to elites. Right. Just like you know, one to want to get jump ahead out of into like a, a more complicated and controversial. Uprising, but like in Ukraine, when you ask for like economic sure. justice and culture war, elites can deliver culture war for free. Economic yeah. justice is going to be a problem for them. Mm-hmm. So if you have a movement which is asking for both de oligarchization and some kind of reconfiguration of the national identity, or, or some kind of a some kind of more. Formal, let's say, uh, any kind of demand across the, the 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 planet, indeed, that doesn't require elites to give up any of their money, you're going to get the one that doesn't require yeah. the elites to give up any of their money. And so, yeah, *V <laughs> from Vendetta*. Like, I like I rewatched it. It was like, it's when did it fr- come out again? Oh, I think it's that's like 2008,
2: 2010. F- I think that's
4: – it's before 2010. It's like it 2006, is. 7, yeah. 8, 5. It's crazy. It's crazy that um,
2: Natalie Portman
4: yeah, – sh- yeah, that's crazy. Sh- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you rewatched it. You what? should rewatch we it. Well, wait, because on the one hand, in the film, I mean, uh, like some people like the 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 graphic novel. I haven't mean, – like people – some people defend that as much better than the film. I don't know. But it was the film that really went, was famous. Yeah. Come on. yeah, And uh, – the entire revolution is planned by one guy who just like puts together like shocking, like blow your mind with truth video clips that like he like pu- like plays throughout. viral opera. videos, huh? Viral videos, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then the final scene like swore like swarms like huge crowds of like. Man, you know, they're all, like, the same height, so they're probably, you know, I guess it's men and women, but, like, just it seems like just, like, huge crowds of men in this scary mass just march on parliament, and then movie's over. Like, yeah, that's it. That's the revolution. <laughs> well, and and it's, it's, a
1: like, spo- it's a spontaneous uprising. Yeah, yeah,
4: everyone, like, one man provides the spark for literally, like, all of Britain to march on parliament, and then the way the movie ends is you're led to believe that, like, that's good somehow. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, now, again, 2023, you saw, you see, like, thousands of men march on parliament in a weird mask from a movie they saw because of something they saw on the internet you would probably think this is quite a dangerous thing that's happening but no yeah V for Vendetta and like you know this is something a lot of Mm -hmm. protesters told me like very you know um, like very wistfully like you know we looked too much to Hollywood Mm -hmm. and not enough to of like the very complex and difficult science of like revolutionary history like like we had there was no you know like, again, back to the MST. just because I spent the summer with them, they have, like, centers of cadre formation where anybody that wants to join, they're, like, especially if they're into this kind of stuff, they're, like, invited to go spend months, like, reading the history of social movements and the things that work and get trained by people that are around for years and years and years. When everything just comes together really, really quickly, you kind of reach for what's in the air, and in the area of social media, it's often, like, the thing that gets your blood going, like, the thing that gets you all riled up that, like, moves to the top of the pile,
2: Which that, I mean, you talk about that feeling a lot throughout the book, and I feel like you're a little bit of two minds about it, Mm -hmm. maybe because you also experienced it in 2013. And I know the brace, I mean, we've talked about this, I mean, that feeling like something's changing or that you're in the throes of history, like that you're in that moment is both... I mean, I think you're you're sympathetic because right. I think that that is it's understandable that people are drawn to that and and draw you know find inspiration from that feeling. and it is it's like a euphoria. it's it feels like it's unbelievable, but it's also a really dangerous feeling. Mm-hmm. you know, you can get drunk with it basically yeah. you're <laughs> drunk on it, yeah, and because it it can be the thing that that's the only thing you're after right. right or the only thing you know how to chase is that feeling as opposed to the deep hard w- the hard work of actually you know yeah. studying the movements and trying to build something more sustainable mm-hmm. than just the fucking feeling like you're changing something without yeah. having the responsibility to actually do anything with it
4: yeah and i mean in 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 the defense of that feeling i think that there are tragically few opportunities in, like, contemporary life to feel like you are really working and yeah. you're connected with other people and we're making a difference because, like, Absolutely. by all accounts, we're not working. We're not in parts of humanity. We're not acting collectively. We're totally individualized and, like, we're not making a difference. Or, like, this book in many ways, like, just deals with and sort of arises out of, I think, a real crisis of representation. It's not just mm-hmm. that, like... Certain like anarchist-inspired groups wanted to get rid of representation. Like it's clearly not working. So this these moments where you can actually feel like, oh my god, me and my fellow like like brothers and sisters are like actually changing something right now. That the reason it's so incredibly powerful is because we never get to feel it, and like ideally yeah. we should be feeling it all the time. But that, as you point out, it doesn't mean that that feeling necessarily puts food on the table for for people in the long term. It, you know, it may be a glorious victory against the police tonight, mm-hmm. but then the police go home and then they just go back to the street the next day. I mean, in the case of Brazil, this is, again, very, very strange. Like, the the protesters and the police were, like, going to battle, but, like, the, the real forces of power that control things in Brazilian society didn't really care about the outcome, really. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, whoever wins tonight, like, we're going to hire more military police and we're going to use them to reproduce the conditions of capitalism in this country and indeed like the mayor who they're like technically at, f- like fighting isn't actually in control of the police um so yeah I go back and forth and and indeed like the the interviewees go back and forth some people say you know it can be like a drug in the sense that you w- there's a hangover and you know a lot you know a lot of people and like I'm very grateful to the people that did sit down with me because they often shared like Going through years afterwards of like real depression or or, or the like sort of PTSD of like yeah. what actually happened after that the initial fever broke and like or the people that they realized you know that they had lost in one way or another um, and so yeah I absolutely go back and forth on the one hand I think we need to build a world in which these 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 this feeling is is more is more common but um, history has shown uh, it has to be part of a bigger package of. Strategic action and organizational thinking.
1: Well, what you're describing there is 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 what you mentioned several times in the book, which is profigurative politics. Right, um, and that is that's something I've encountered many times in my life. But that that there's this there's this I, I would say I guess globalized tendency. Although I I mostly associate with people that I've done battle with in political circles. Uh, over my lifetime um, is that like if you create this like perfect uh, egalitarian, um, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to call it beautiful because I've never seen anything remotely uh, approaching beauty uh, in any of these circles. But, um, you know, this like egalitarian, uh, you know, equitable society or equitable group that is, like, trying to overthrow the system, then that will naturally follow. Um, and that, that has obviously borne itself out not to be true. But but something that you – or as, as history has, has borne that out to be false. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the fuck sentence I'm saying there, but I feel like <laughs> listeners know what I'm saying. Uh, but one thing that becomes very apparent is that, like, it, 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 it is that the the organizations that these people are fighting against or competing next to don't have any such qualms right. about about using uh, tr- I would say traditional methods of organization to get what they want. Right. And something that like I, you mentioned this in one of the final chapters, but like uh, you, you know, the, the, a tactic has been since time immemorial for uh, whatever hegemonic group is in control of societies to divide and conquer right. the people that are that are against it. Um, And something that is just so fascinating to me since like the 1960s, 1970s, really since the new left, is like that has been something that – Many people who seek to change that society will do themselves already. They're like, we will divide and <laughs> ourselves as, as already like, infinitely, <laughs> infinitely. <laughs> yes. um, and it's funny because you know people. You hear all this like this rhetoric around class war, right? Around class war. Well, what happens in a war? You fight battles, and what do you right. fight battles with? You fight battles with an army, and how are armies almost? have been organized since, you know, we began to have uh, structures of organization in society. That Horizontally. Is with full consensus. Of, <laughs> full, yeah, full <laughs> consensus and everybody agrees. Like, listen, um, some of the fems have been talking that, like, some of this has been a little cr- – No, but what you have is, like, you have a structure, right? And so much of this – I mean, you talk very early on in the book too about how uh, yeah, – as we uh, we've discussed on this program today – uh, how uh, there's this like weird digital uh, reflection, like the, the organizational structures that appear mirror in many ways the digital structures that they that they kind of come out of, mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's what's fascinating to me is that for for a the left. Uh, you I hear many people sort of claim to be scholars of history right mm-hmm. scholars of revolutionary movements and so many lessons of successful revolutions are disregarded in favor of the of the uh, sort of est- ecstatic joy of the 1960s and the the lessons of like personal self fulfillment from that era mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's fascinating to me just this sort of uh, like what I was talking about earlier, this like allergy to power. But even this like the the idea that somebody giving you an order is fundamentally wrong, and what that says about somebody who claims that they want to be part of collective action to me, I mean that that says that you actually don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you know like the the, the you you end up in this. Deeply undemocratic in in reality but highly democratic in rhetoric, uh, things like these, like, popular assemblies where everybody has to give consensus Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, I mean, it's just – it's fascinating.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think – yeah, I think you – yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm glad – like, I hope that the – even the things that are in this book that are, like, about faraway countries, hopefully they sort of rhyme with – sort of experiences that different people have around the world and it sounds like you've had <laughs> Oh, plenty. I've had
1: plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but even I mean even even it's funny though because you know you talk about how the these sort of spokesmen, right? Right. will be self-selected or selected by the media. And like I'm not unaware of the fact that like just given the fact that we have a podcast right. that is 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 fairly popular mm-hmm. that like somehow we become like De facto spokespeople, or whatever—I mean, that's mm. not actually how we view ourselves whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. But like, that is how. That is like. It's funny in America; it, it becomes very grouped along like media consumption lines.
2: Yeah, I would say elsewhere in the world, because as kind of like theme of what we're talking about today, everything is sort of beca- is a kind of weird funhouse mirror of America. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Which a lot I, of you know. Yeah,
4: and I think this this work. I think like the the dynamic you're just describing is really interesting. And it's inverse too because when you have a group, when your enemies are trying to define you, if you don't have an actual message that you have decided upon collectively and presented as this is our message, like the Black Panther Party would have, like a lot of the original uh, uh, civil rights organizations that inspired the new left would have, it becomes very easy for your enemies to find the stupidest guy in your group and be like, oh, that's that's who you are. Which is what they've
2: done with our podcast. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Don't look at
2: me. What? No, I'm looking at us. You look directly at (laughs) me. I'm looking around the SEO. No, but
1: I'm sure that everybody who's in a political organization is probably nodding their head, right? Because you have always, I'm sure always the dumbest motherfucker is the one who is like getting pushed to the fore by anybody who's writing about your organization.
4: And this is incredibly easy to happen when you have like a uh, a, a particular type of street explosion. You know, when the hegemonic media or state forces do not see it as a good thing, they want to discredit it. Now it's incredible. Incredibly easy to do so. You just find three guys that are doing the dumbest thing that you could ever see, you film them doing it, you send the FBI in to do the dumbest thing that you could ever well, imagine. Yeah, yeah, that too. And yeah. then you, or you know, whatever the, whatever version of the FBI you have in whatever.
1: FBI <laughs> in Brazil. <laughs>
4: uh, you don't like that? That is correct. No, that is, correct. No, that is actually FBI. That is actually right. Yeah. Yeah, like actually well, I think social model would be very like proud of his association with the FBI, FBI or something like this. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but it becomes incredibly easy to be like, okay, send you know, one agent provocateur to like blow, you know, to blow yeah. up the statue that actually is the coolest, you know, the best guy in your country's history. Be like, oh, that's what the movement stands for. Uh, who's going to deny it? You can't because like you have no one that uh, speaks for it. So I'm telling you, you know, the the media or government of this country, that's who you are. Or you can pick, you know, whatever political tendency you like. You can pick the stupidest. 9 second joke from the dumbest podcast that now is extinct and be like well that's what that political tendency is all about and like who's going to say that it's not because unlike the Black Panther party there's no one that says no this is the or like unlike the MST there's no one that says the communications sector for the movement to sing terra has like this is our official position on this and then like but that doesn't exist in this in this in this particular type of explosion created by sort of globalized neoliberalism and and Digital media.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's like the, an effect of social media, but one thing I really appreciate about appreciate about this book is how seriously you present the effect of the media. Right. And like I don't know yeah. – I, I feel like even to this day people don't – maybe because everyone wants to – because of social media, everyone either thinks of themselves in a, even in an abstract way as part of the media yeah. or they want to be in the media right. in whatever capacity they think that means or whatever it is. But there is—it's people do not take seriously the profound ways in which the media can alter pretty much anything (laughs) and 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 change the direction of reality itself and what we perceive to be reality itself. I mean, I really do think that, and you know, you you use Brazil as a great example, um, but elsewhere as well. And I, I don't know. I feel like people still don't take that seriously enough.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's like I think there's a risk of overemphasizing the media and like yeah, it becomes, I'm in it, it the becomes media. a conspiracy, yeah. like a kind of and like I'm, oh,
2: they'll just change. But at the same
4: time, but yeah, so at the same time, if you think about it, really, human beings can only see what's directly in front of their faces. Like you can like the only reason that I know that Joe Biden is the president is because of the media. Like I didn't go there to like check with my like I didn't go to the White House to look. Like the media, we live in such a complex society that we rely on some kind of mediation for everything. Sure. And, again, because I'm in it, I probably pay a lot of attention to it because this particular strange situation in Brazil where the media representation changed not only the way that the world understood but the actual material configuration of what yes. was happening in the streets, which happens in a lot of cases elsewhere in the book. That yeah, I think, you know, uh, you have to be very careful about it because you can go in weird ways and, like, it's because it's everywhere, You you can, you can feel like a totalizing force. But, like, you know, there's – there's no reason to protest in the first place without the media. There was, that's so there's a reason that there wasn't protests really before the media. It's, it's fundamentally a media action in some ways, I think. And so paying very close attention to like, like seriously, responsibly analyzing like the political economy, the, the political economy of media and who's acting in which ways for what reasons. I think, yes, is, you just can't, you can't kick that out of the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you are very circumspect in the in the book about your own role as a member of the media because you've written for mainstream MSM publications, <laughs> L.A. Times, <laughs> Washington Post, as you call it, the Wapo, uh, <laughs> and your frequent mention of it in conversation, even if you don't need to mention it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, do you did you do you come out of this like? With a reexamination of your own role as a used to want to be a journalist, I mean, like, how do you how do you feel? I'm asking, I'm asking for the the Vincent, your heart.
4: <laughs> yeah, I feel okay. Uh, no, but it's absolutely true that all of my career has been in sort of the mainstream corporate media. Like everything that I've ever done has been come out of like applying those tools to. Things that I ended up finding while working as a like a regular news correspondent, whether it was like the thing that was the, what led me to write about the U.S.-backed mass murder of communists in Indonesia, or to, to reflect on like the very real failures made by like my class um, in uh, over this decade. But it is like weirdly, um, ironically, exactly those tools that I like, like, yeah. like often if you just like almost like naively. Are naively faithful to the idea of just like saying what really happened, then you <laughs> you end up uh, uh, like in a decent place. And I think I so think there's sort of an analog. This might sound like a cheap um, this might sound like a cheap uh, 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 dodge, but let's see if it actually works. I think that there's actually a kind of an analog between the way that you described that if you just blow something up, you think something's going to come around, yeah. which is necessarily better. I think there's an analog to The media and being very critical of the ways that it can go wrong and also thinking that if you just like destroy and all like all of the people whose professional, whose profession it is around the world to do their best to tell the stories that like somehow magically that you'll get like a more democratic or independent media because who's going to rush into that power vacuum? Well, there already are oligarchs. Oligarchs are rushing into the decimation of media. uh, can lead to opportunities somehow if you have like a, 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 an actual plan as to how to build things better and some like some of those projects exist but just like praying for the alt, like the full destruction of of the existing media i think is going to open the door for a lot of really powerful bad actors and like whether we like it or not and like you know setting aside like anarcho primitivist like options a really complex society needs representation it needs some kind of journalism it needs some kind of media so hopefully what I'm contributing to <laughs> is the necessary critique of the existing
1: yeah.
4: of, of existing media practice that just like any state, just like any government structure, just like any order needs to be constantly criticized in order to be as good as possible. And while I want it to be better, I'm also sometimes skeptical. But again, this is, that might be a dodge because this is my class that I'm perhaps just like deep down <laughs> defending. But like, I'm sometimes skeptical of the cheerleading for the immediate and full destruction of ex- actually existing journalism because I think what's going to happen is it, you're just going to get mar- like corporate marketing and advertising pretending to be journalism?
1: Well, I, I think a lot of people do want that on like a sort of instinctual level. Just like you know fuck, what I mean? the, fuck like, these like, guys, fuck these guys, because like which is like you're it's cool. understandable. I, I, I like you. I can <laughs> you know I consider you a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't like a lot of journalists. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but on the other hand, like it is it is just factually true, right? Like if there's no huh. media then, like, it's just, like, what? Like, some Rumble show? Us? You know? Um,
4: It is also factually true that people, like, don't like – like, like – Poll like polling demonstrates this yeah. is like an empirical fact that like people do, do like are rejecting like traditional media structures. Yeah, they yeah. like if this is a real. I would be real, surprised yeah. if
2: network television exists in oh, yeah. ten years.
4: So I mean, this is. Gonna, I know like, people
2: are going to call me crazy, but we're going to no, be I, just like streaming YouTube. Different. It's going to be diffuse media everywhere <laughs> in any kind of way that you can streamed like augmented reality in our living rooms, no television screen. Yeah. of just like some. You know, YouTuber that looks like you know,
4: just like any just h- like
2: our friend, our little friend, yeah, our YouTuber like saying whatever. A hot, charismatic we want.
4: version of someone that we imagine we totally. can hang out with. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that'll be it, the next Don limit it, or I mean, whatever. It, I wasn't saying like you know who's going to put us as a as a slide on us. We're one of the greatest shows in human history. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. but I mean, like it, you know, to actually to actually be able to do like deep reporting and stuff, you generally need organizational structures
4: and like yeah, uh, like you need people to be working full time. Yes, and resources too. and
1: institutions. Yeah, exactly. and this is another
4: thing that like again as imperfect as mainstream foreign correspondence always was, as much as that even in the, like, 20th century had a tendency to to, to reproduce neocolonial dynamics and reproduce, uh, like, narratives which were favorable to, the, like, the, the strongest countries in history. Even compared to that... In 2014, 2017, we did a worse job just because we had less resources. So like, there was already the ideological problem, and then you had like a bunch of people that like were facing the real possibility that they were going to be fired from their jobs like forever. I think that all journalists like could be fired forever because journalism could like, yeah. really stop. And this again. This deepens that tendency. This worsens that dynamic in which the guy that's you know happens to be in X country at whatever time is going to say whatever he thinks is going to get him more views, is yeah. going to get more clicks, is going to hold Absolutely. on to his job. Like, in order for people to do this very, very difficult job um, as well as possible, which is like arguably a job that should not be handed off to the external spokespersons yeah. or the the ad hoc sort of. Uh, microphones that are there but in order to do that job somehow competently you have to have like several people that really know the history of a given country and have full time like job stability which is like not at all what exists at all yeah. you have a guy that's like well maybe if I like say this one thing that I know the editor wants to hear I'll get $300 from like mm. some, this one paper uh, in this part of the world and that has again as imperfect as mainstream journalism was clearly in the 20th century like you know in the cold wars like my first book goes into this quite a lot it just got worse, yeah. right? Just like yeah. there, a lot of people were like "fuck you" to various leaders in the in the 2010s. But then that initial uh, that that very exciting moment where when you were like sticking it to them didn't like necessarily lead uh, to something great in the long term.
1: I mean, I I personally believe that I think all journalists just like the UN or like a parallel UN should just arrest <laughs> most of all of them. Yeah. Maybe not like ones that I like, but all all of them. And they kind of just let out the ones that like like a tribunal. Or I mean, something this says I, is
4: okay. I like mm-hmm. sort of actually defend a like the UN-led nationalization of social media. Like, I think that I so, would be yeah. <laughs> I not? do think that sort of somehow or another in the long term. You have I just to take- think we should have upload caps.
1: That is, you know that what, literally would just yeah. oh, just like end DM a lot of your,
4: madness. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> to just, stop people from. We need
1: what's
2: the what's well. The first of all, that would be take a revolution at this point yeah, because yeah. of there's just too much money and in, and right. in, uh, involved now. But to to kind of cap how much people can upload and cap content upload would like dramatically shift overnight. That. And then we banned group chats. Oh, we got to ban
1: that group chats.
2: That would lead to a complete reorganization of society we in gotta one gotta month. we ban
4: group chats. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the like, dynamic that got Wilson elected the full time was, like, WhatsApp groups. WhatsApp
1: yeah, groups, yeah, like, they're showing condoms to my two-year-old. Uh, no, they're
4: forcing my two-year-old to practice uh, oral sex. There's. Yeah.
1: There. yeah, wow. Yeah,
4: Jeez, which is, didn't so happen at all. It was totally here, made up. It didn't matter. It still gets your blood going. Yeah. You know, still gets that feeling. Well, yeah. Then,
1: okay then get my blood going. No, anger, the feeling, <laughs> oh, okay. the feeling
4: of moral outrage, which is like which is like again, like back in 2011, nobody really knew what made like for a great vira- like what was like caused virality, but moral outrage is a thing that really it's, it's gets gotta people going. be gone.
1: listen, it's pedophilia.
4: <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's like, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that by 2023 you have like political tendencies in every part of the world that just, like, accuse their enemies, enemies of being pedophiles because it works. It gets, it gets it, people mad.
3: Listen, it works,
4: <laughs> baby. I'll tell you this. Yeah. Uh,
1: your book, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting uh, a scholar that I very much respect... Your book contains with it a provocation. Mm. That scholars' liz, of course. Uh, your book contains with it a provocation. And actually, really, that's not what I meant to say. I just like to say that. You just want to make fun <laughs> of me. I, no, I, don't, I didn't want to make fun. That was literally an actual in tribute, in homage to you. I was okay. not making fun of you. Um, it could be both. The L word love? comes up quite a bit. It, love. And would you consider <laughs> love to be the <laughs> ultimate goal? Uh, no, uh, Lenin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenin. Uh, the little the the, imp, the impish Russian himself, <laughs> Lenin, um, comes up quite a bit uh, yeah. in, in in this work, um, and you seem to. And I don't want to put words in your mouth here. Sure. Uh, but he certainly comes up a number of times right. in the uh, in the sort of final two chapters right. where you where you. I, I don't know what you would call it. The final two chapters of the fucking book. I where think you there's kind of talk c- about conclusion the conclusion and then epilogue. That's like the word. The c word. Conclusion. Yeah. C word conclusion, um, and I mean it's you're learning it, a lot today. About <laughs> the various learning words. a lot of words today. Get a <laughs> little punchy. Um, well, he's great. We love him. But uh, wh- wh- like, is 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 that like something that you kind of came into? Because I I would have I of course came into this book already with preconceived notions of like right. this is this is what works because I can look at history, right? right? I have no great love for Lenin as a person. I just think he was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a person, it was kind of cool, but uh, but I, you know I just think he was right. it was correct. So I came to this book being like, "I know what I believe already no. uh, And did you come to your conclusion that like it's likely true that Leninist methods of organizing are more effective for uh, achieving and maintaining power than perhaps more individualist forms of organizing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you come to that conclusion throughout this sort of the research for this book? Or or, like, how did you get to that conclusion?
4: Well, this was a real life ideological evolution that happened among many people that lived through this decade. So a lot of the people that in 2011, 2012, 2013 are more pro-structurelessness, let's say, end up either being like, no, we need to return to some form of Lenin. I mean, Rodrigo Nunes, Brazilian philosopher, Um, he's one of the guys that's there in 2005. He's organizing a space that they can set up. I don't know if you remember this moment in the anti-globalization or anti-globalization movement. He's setting up a clown school where people can do like street performance as, uh, as, as, like, you're, you're in,
1: you're in, you're in, you're, Liz is in the third year for, she won't say this, she's embarrassed, she's in the third year of her grad program at a clown school. That is school. not... She's actually name. been in clown school for the past 15 years. I met her actually at like a sort of Verso clown school soiree. <laughs> right, right. The clown loft. The clown loft, of course, <laughs> the Verso clown loft.
4: And he, so he. he he's, he's insistent, he like, uh, like I understand why he is that he didn't actually teach at the clown school, but he set it up like mm-hmm. he was there when that kind of stuff was in the air. You
1: will never catch my <laughs> ass at the clown school. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so he's there. In, he's there when this is the dominant yeah uh, sort of ideological approach to like mass protests, you know, performance in the streets. You know, prefiguration, like building new types of, of, of connection. And he comes, you know, he, along with many other people in the book, come along to what he calls networked Leninism, which is like the, what was going to be the title for a book, which is eventually neither vertical nor horizontal. Jihan uh, Tuyal,, uh, you, know, you know Turkish right? His name is Gian Tual. Bro,
1: nobody knows Turkish. I thought you you learned (laughs) Turkish. Wait, Boris Johnson? I
4: I learned how to say Yoldash,
1: (laughs) a comrade.
4: Uh, So a Turkish sociologist. Merhaba. That's hello. uh, So a Turkish sociologist, um, I think I'm pronouncing his name more or less, Gian Tual, he's now Berkeley, comes to like, we need to return to a neo, like a, a renewed interpretation Uh, of Bolshevism. We
2: need a renewed... Everything needs to be a renewed network, a little twist on the old classics. We do live in a slightly different world, right? I mean,
1: we do live in a different world. Whatever funky little appellations people want to toss
2: on Everyone's got to, like, throw their little remix in. As as long as it's there.
4: Um, Mm -hmm. So this is a real-life ideological transformation that happens throughout the... Um, throughout the decade, a lot of people in different countries, you know, a guy in, in, in Ukraine told me, like, well, I used to believe in sort of self organization, but now I believe that without an organized working class, um, elites will always take advantage of a, of a street explosion. I, I go, he, he was, went back to, like, what is to be done. Um, so there's that. There's this, like, a real thing that happens amongst my uh, interviewees. And I understand that in the US, this, like, is, it is a provocation. It's a bit spicy. But if it were not, I think. For that sort of deep assumption, like the deep anti-communist assumptions in US political culture, the 2010s wouldn't have gone the way they did. like the 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 like tiny little story that uh, I recount in the book about like Malcolm McLaren choosing to make the yeah. Sex Pistols quote mm-hmm. unquote anarchist because he tried communism for
1: the dolls, the New
4: York Dolls, and they were like, nope, that's too far. It's not gonna got, fly. People in got New really York mad City. at us. Yeah. People got really really mad at us when you know Sex Pistols are anarchists. Like, oh, that's you know that's that's spicy, yeah. but we can take it. Um,
2: American culture still loves anarchists.
4: I mean, it's like. Um, the, there, I think there is a deep, like like deep sort of individualist, you know, individualism yeah. is at the heart of every no no, no, no one no with that. Everyone loves
2: freedom, yeah,
4: capital yeah. F in this. Like country. a particular type of individually defined freedom is at the heart of the American problem. Like everyone agrees on that, whether you're yeah. against it or whether you love it. Like Republicans all agree on that. Yeah. And um so that's one part of the answer. Another part of the answer is that in order to des- to describe where this stuff comes from. I have to go back to, or at least I choose to, maybe I maybe it was the wrong choice, but I choose to go back to this moment in the 60s where particular students in the United States growing up in the wake of McCarthyism choose to uh, employ certain organizational practices as a rejection of or to be different than what they saw as the historical mistakes of the Soviet Union. So you can't yeah. understand, because in the first half of the 20th century, or indeed by even into the 60s and 70s outside the U.S., what you call, or you say, in the way that you say that Lenin was right about organization, whether or not you agreed with all the other stuff, like some kind of a—I
3: do—some
4: <laughs> yeah. kind of a Leninist organizational form was quite hegemonic around the world. You had all kinds of movements, whether or not they were actually yeah. like socialist, adopting adopting like the Leninist party form. It was like, a
1: party of a new type,
4: like both like parties, like we had learned in some ways from mm-hmm. Leninist organizational forms. Um, obviously, even the
2: right took. I mean, quite famously, Mm -hmm. like, the vanguardist right wing, even in America, took a lot of cues Mm -hmm. from Lenin. I mean, Mm -hmm. Murray Rothbard was famously a huge—I mean, he called himself a huge fan of Lenin. Obviously not the— Well, he was quite substantial.
4: (laughs) Anyways, that's the—yeah, I guess guess that's the two answers is that there's a real evolution among people around the world that I, like, saw this happen. And again, in Brazil or in Turkey, returning to Lenin is way less provocative than here. Yeah, that's not really— No one's like—like, you know— the. Brazil, like Lula's uh, government um, has always governed very closely with the B, which is a Marxist-Leninist party, hammering sickle on the flag, uh, used to be part of this hojaist international tendency, just like the Workers' Party in Tunisia. Like, even, uh, even like, there are, like, of course, rabid anti-communists in Brazil, but the existence of, like, Marxist-Leninists in the political structures of places like, you know, Turkey, Brazil, uh, Ukraine, that's not, like... That's not so shocking as it is here. So I knew that it would be a little bit like, yeah. oh my God, in the US, but like, the book's not primarily about the US, and this is a real movement that's, be- you know. And like, some members of the MPL have moved in this direction themselves, and other members of the MPL complain like, fuck, like, the young generation of leftists, they're all, like, back into Lenin now. Like, you know, so its it, it was a real thing that happened outside the U.S. and is not nearly as shocking yeah. in the global south as it is in, in like, Brooklyn or California.
1: Yeah. No, I would say if you travel basically anywhere in the world, you'll find Yeah, if you
4: mean, not- like, Arab leftists are, like, proper, like, leftists. Yeah. Like, they're often from, you know, communist party families. Not, you know, not always. But this, this exists in a way that we decimated in the United States in the 50s, and it's a real historical exception.
2: Well, the book ends, spoiler alert— a little bit before or on the eve of Bolsonaro's failed re-election. <laughs> right. And I would be remiss if I didn't before we end we end this fantastic interview that we've been having, um, didn't ask you about the events of January 8th. Mm-hmm. Um and for people listening, we did an episode on that when that mm-hmm. happened, but the kind of bolsonaristas storming of the Capitol. Kind of the uh, of, 76! Con- <laughs> of Congress. I
4: mean, yeah, they stormed. The, in, yeah, they stormed yeah, the capital in Brazil, Yeah, Brazilia, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, very much a kind of weird, both mimetic performance of January 6th of, in the U.S., but also weirdly of the um, June 2013 protests, mm-hmm. where also the left stormed the capital. Yeah. there's a weird sort of kind of um, book kind of bookend happening mm-hmm. there that sort of traces this. The you know the genesis of something in June 2013, all the way through to this kind of I don't know melancholic farcical
4: right.
2: attempt.
4: Yeah, like first is Bol- tragedy, the, then is farce, then is like really stupid farce. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's like an even like more clownish again yeah. in the clown kind of tradition I suppose um, version of yeah whatever that was on January 8th and the kind of like yeah just very sad Bolsonaristas maybe also somehow thinking that if they they two kind of just got there and made something happen, that something would happen? Yeah, I mean, January,
4: these people yeah. were, like, the most, like, pathetically and, like, actually tragically, like, internet adult guys you Because exactly. if you spoke— We, we and had
1: I, that here, too, dude. <laughs> I mean, we, I, it's the same guys. <laughs> well, yeah, January the January 6th guy. Uh, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> Like, but the
1: but it's crazy
2: to me because it does really feel like this funhouse mirror right. of of June 2013 in a lot of ways.
4: Yeah, I mean, so in June 2013, at this point, but at this point, probably it was a left started protest. By this point, when they like like ran up on top of Brazil's na- like National Congress building, like you look at photos, like it looks like very futuristic. Like they like they like rush and there's all these big shadows. This happens in June 2013, absolutely. And this is something that at the time the like broader anti-authoritarian left is like well yeah this is a you know an outpouring of support for whatever it is that we started um but functionally like the actual concrete things that these human bodies are doing in the real world is the same thing Mm. and again this is a like this is like another point that comes up across like the book like like a tactic can be used in many, many different ways. It can right. be the right thing for the moment. It can be the wrong thing for the moment. It can be the right thing used by a bad guy or mm-hmm. the wrong thing used by a good guy. That's an important point, yeah. And uh, I think, you know, almost any tactic that I can think of is, is defensible in some in- instances, right? Like in some instances, everyone defends like violence against like an invading force or sometimes mm-hmm. everyone defends ultimate destabilization. What about of- cheating? <laughs> <laughs> That's get, like in a very good question. Like in a relationship.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Go on, though.
4: Go on. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about the, thinking about the answer. Uh, no, never. Okay. Never. Okay. Never yeah. is the answer. If that's the agreement that you have, mm-hmm. you, don't vi- you don't violate it. No. Uh, and by, you know, so I was in Brazil for the election, um, and you saw, like, these increasingly pathetic, the 2022 election that Lula eventually wins, just barely even though Bolsonaro does everything he can to try to destroy right. democracy. Yeah. Like, Beyond tried-
2: having U.S. support. If he had U.S. support, he would have been able to do <laughs> it.
4: Well, he lost. So I think so. He lost the support of the Brazilian ruling class. Yeah, and the Brazilian ruling class is well allied with the like. That's you know, like I think I put it sometime in one of the articles. Like he lost the support of the Brazilian like quote unquote business class or the the support of the national bourgeoisie and their international partners. You know, if you don't have the support of like the quote unquote business elite in Brazil. What's the point of a d- dictatorship in the first place? Like, why are you going to have a dictatorship yeah. in South America if you're not even helping like, the exactly. elites reaper, like, a- accumulate capital? What are you doing?
3: Yeah.
4: Um, so he lost the, the uh, like, not all, but a lot of the ruling class. So, but he couldn't get the support for a real coup because he knows how you really do a coup. You get the military behind the scenes, you get the military to yeah. agree to that. You know, you, oh, you create a, an excuse, you shut down, you know.
1: <laughs> oh, we, believe me. Uh, <laughs> big,
4: yeah. Big There's other ways, though. Like, well, we finish. saw
2: coup, the, the 2014 coup
4: different. Which 2014 coup?
2: With Doma's impeachment. Oh yeah, 2016.
4: And- sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 20, yeah, yeah you, like the the content, like the really smart way to do thing. The modern coup in Latin America, like even like, like Pope Francis did like an article about this. It's, like <laughs> you don't like bring tanks up. That looks really bad. What you do is you like find some tradi- judicial, 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 yeah, yeah. La- La- lawfare, fair. yeah. You do La- lawfare, yeah, yeah. Like Pope Francis is a big guy, like on, in the lawfare, like uh, community s- in lawfare thought. No, like, <laughs> yeah, <in> the- <laughs> but he was like really, really like free Lula. This is you know, this yeah, is the, this yeah. is the contemporary way of doing coups and so all of the real attempts fall apart and then you get like these increasingly like f- whatsapp addicted guys and i mm-hmm. went so initially they blocked all the highways in the country which is like that could work that's that's a part of an of a, a effective coup that yeah. could be, that could work the, you got some of your guys doing that so that happened in the in the first days after the election and ironically it was like to some extent brazilian football ultras that cleared the roads like, yeah like corinthians is a pro lula team a pro-democracy team uh, but then, like, they, they're all camped out, for like, outside of military barracks for weeks. And a lot of them that. are, like, quite close to, like, where— I, Like, I just go, I'm like, well, what exactly do you think? And either they don't have an answer or they have, like, some rumor that they think that tomorrow— right.
1: The storm is coming.
4: The storm is—yeah. Yeah. Some magical force within the Brazilian deep state is going to arrest everybody and pro- proclaim that Bolsonaro is coming back. And eventually, the, like the mo like, the fringe of the fringe of this, like, extreme right movement— decides just to, like, go, like, turn this protest into an attack on the capital. Yeah. Uh, and, like, I spent a lot of the time, like, I spent, like, the last few weeks, actually, in Bols- in um, Brasilia interviewing, like, the the most prominent, like, Bolsonaristas in the government. A lot of, like, what they claim now, because, like, they live in entirely, like, distinct epistemic universes. They can just claim this as, like, uh, oh, that was actually the left. That was all, that was all. Like, <laughs> Beautiful. The, the left. Yeah. Is, it was all, like, leftist infiltration that was pretending to be Bolsonaristas that did that. Uh, or at least that was a big part of it. So it's mm. not us. It was it an our mistake. That,
1: that was. The, I mean, that's the, ex- precisely American. the same yeah. uh, response. Well, that, these guys
4: like, watch uh, like pay a lot of attention to right wing like. They're watching internet the, in the, the United the, States. The, the war room. Well, this is a big part of what I'm. Work- yeah, they, or like they even have like actual conferences where they trade. Yeah, like group chats. Shut them down. Group chats. Yeah, group chats. <laughs> and so yeah, so you're right. Like it's and this ca- question came up on the 10 year anniversary of, of June 2013. Like, okay, well we understand that like the initial demands were different but like what is in a democracy and again it's very different when you're dealing with Mubarak in Egypt right but in a democracy what is the actual place for trying to physically eject the elected representatives <laughs> yeah. to, which becomes you know a big problem in, like again in Ukraine like e- in, even in imperfect in democracy what happens after the ejection of the person that was actually put there with votes uh, and like yeah and this was a this is I think an unresolved question like uh, uh, like We're still dealing with, like, the long tail of the consequence of this, of all of this.
2: Well, the book is fantastic. If we burn the mass protest decade and the missing revolution... Vincent, it's so nice to have you in the studio. I'm so happy
4: that we were able to do it, not on Zoom. Yeah, no, thank you. No, no Truly, thank you for having me. Having me. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, not
1: that we use Zoom, actually.
4: We used Zoom <laughs> last time, right? I it's think. a different one. We uh, do a, a different, different program. No,
1: that might have been, when we had Vincent on, that might have been. Zoom. It was like Zencaster? Zen- what do you got? Uh, we got one of them motherfuckers. Zencaster? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, it's, yeah. I believe it's Zencaster, yeah, but please don't D-D-O-S us. <laughs> I actually don't know what that means or how that would work.
4: No, but it is really- But if you
2: do it with a V for Vendetta mask
4: on... Then I'll allow it. Then you are the de facto leader of the, the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> the, you the, are Commandante V for Vendetta. Ca-
1: has a lot in it, a lot that we did not cover today. I, I cannot fathom a listener of this program who – I'm calling it a program now. I cannot <laughs> I fathom a listener of this program who would not enjoy this book in some funky way – Or all funky ways. Yeah,
2: there's Uh, a lot of really great information. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Like, I tried to – well, like, all – I spent maybe too much time on this book. But I tried to make it, like, properly a book where, like, everyone's going to find their own thing. Like, not just be like, here's an argument and then, like, here's the padding. Like, I tried to put a lot in there and hopefully people will bring different things to it and come away with different things at the end of the the story. Well, Vincent –
1: you kind of look like a handsome version of the actor Vincent he sucks, you know what I'm talking about because you've heard this before haven't
4: you? some people's brains do this because what? you Fuck have no dude. you, you have the, to, it's you because it's the like same him. name Wait, no, which guy you, you I know what he's doing some people do this it's a very like some people it's a very lizard do, brain thing
1: yeah, yeah because lizard <laughs> first of all loaded language wow, yeah, wow it's wow interesting, interesting. would you say it's a banker brain thing to do? Mm. <laughs> Does that lizard, what, what's, what's, that, that, what's that? What's the nose <laughs> look like Vincent? on that lizard? What's, what's the, what's the, what's his name? Vincent Cart- no, no. Who <laughs> the fuck is that? I know who, who, you're, that? I know who you're thinking Vincent of. Vincent Cartweiser? Wait, he always from plays Matt Matt? like a
4: shithead. He always plays a douchebag. Yes,
1: yeah. Dude, he's no. famous. No, Vincent. He do not look like the guy from No, I'm going to look. He doesn't, I don't, Matt, I've never seen Are you sure his name is Vincent? What do you, what
4: No. Yeah, that's someone yesterday. Vincent, are you talking about? like the cool French Vincent, uh, the French one. No, um, people, people do this, Vincent but people only famous. say this after they heard my name is Vincent. They never think that I look like I've this guy. I've known your name is Vincent until- the
1: entire time. Okay, famousfix.com, <laughs> actors just with the first name Vincent, Vince Neil, no, a little bit. You got a Vince Neal thing to you, but Vincent Gallo, I would say politically but not physically. <laughs> uh, Vincent D'onfrio?
4: Deno- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Law
1: and Frio, Law and Order. This yeah. list yeah. is only three people long. No, dude, he's the most famous guy named Vincent besides Van Gogh. But along. then, how come he doesn't come up on Google? Yeah. Uh,
3: wait,
1: I'm like, like Vincent. Kn- do you know why
4: the answer is? It's because his name is Vince. I know. I think Vincent, uh, people call him Vince. If you, but actor Vince. I know where you're going. And it's, I don't Vince like Vince Vaughn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really?
1: yeah. He looks like a. It's like, like I said. It's,
4: it's just because of the word. His I brain. Don't think that's it's how really. the human no, brain I don't works. You look it. like a handsome Vince you're associating no, the word. Just it's just the word.
1: No, you get. You think kid. it's a
4: coincidence that I'm one of like six people you've ever seen that has the name Vincent that what you what think. Are you talking? I used to live with Vinny Martini. So seven. <laughs> Vincent. I know so many Vincents. Okay, four, six four, people. Fourteen. I don't know. Fourteen. Four, whoa. A lot of Filipinos named Vincent.
1: A lot of Filipinos <laughs> named Vincent. We didn't even talk about the Philippines. Um, uh,
4: but so yeah, but I think it's because of my name. But whatever, yeah. I I don't live inside your brains. And
1: I love you, and I love the book. (laughs) Thank you. And I love that you came on the program. Yeah, thank you Uh, so much. And with that being said, Vincent, farewell. Bruce, what did you learn today? What did we learn? Well, I think if you get enough people in one place, then something happens.
2: Yeah. And if you have a mask that looks kind of like a clown but a little bit more twisted. Dark. Dark clown with like a twisted smile, you can get on the internet.
1: Mm-hmm. You should have seen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you should have seen the contortions uh, which Liz's body went into. It was almost like she had stuck a fork in an electric socket. When the clown school came up. (laughs) she I have never seen somebody shrink. I would say Liz became three inches by three inches at that point. Uh, And then she exploded much like a sort of a jack-in-the-box type scenario. You know, you make
2: fun of me, but I trained with the former president of Clowns of America.
1: Ow, 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 ow. Sorry, Liz just fucking... Dude, Liz just fucking had me smell a flower and then just it had water in it. Dude. I didn't do
2: that. Oh. You know, I, yeah. we don't need to get into my clowning work.
1: Well, I mean, you've trained with the former president of the Clowns of America?
3: Yeah.
1: I take a pie real well. I didn't know you were in Congress. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, ooh, a piece of gum? Oh, this nothing bad could happen. <laughs> Wait, Liz, oh thank God, I'm so hungry. You're offering me peanuts? Oh, well, only peanuts could be a- Oh
3: my god, a snake!
1: And thus ends That. I'm Liz. My name is Brace. Of course, we are joined by the shirtless but two pairs of pants, producer Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called
2: True and On. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.